Platform listeners, Rachel from Clavu here. Clavu has recently helped Puma increase search-led conversion by 53%. We've also just introduced a host of new features as part of the Clavu AI product discovery suite. Get a demo at clavu.com. Welcome back to the Replatform podcast. It is myself, James, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. It is, uh, it's a nice sunny day. It's all good. How about yourself? Yeah, good. I am enjoying the weather today. <laughs> yes, it's hard to focus on work, but it's good so we can distract ourselves from work with another uh, interesting episode of the podcast. So today we are drilling into Core Web Vitals, a topic that's on a lot of people's minds at the moment. Um, so to set the scene before I introduce our guest today, site speed and performance has been a focus for most web owners for a good few years now, um, and it can have a dramatic impact improving page speed. For example, Cook increased conversions by 7% by a simple reduction of 0.85 seconds of page load. Mobify found for every 100 milliseconds improvement in their homepage load time, they had a 1.1% increase in conversion. So there's lots of stats around that. And Google's decision to make um, speed and UX core part of its algorithm sharpened a lot of businesses' focuses in the area, which is a bit sad. You know, people always should have been focused on delivering the best UX and speed, but sometimes it takes measures like this to get people to take it more seriously. And tech's come a long way. Um, you know, devs and ecom leads now have a new set of metrics that they obsess over, which is called core web vitals. We're going to explore what that means today. And I, what I think is uh, interesting is that often people say, oh, this, this site feels slow, but actually the metrics online are really, really fast. And there's sometimes a difference between customer perception of what speed is versus the technical delivery of a site. So let's explore core web vitals. And, and what we're really going to talk about today is why should e-commerce teams care? So we're going to talk to a recognized expert in this area. His LinkedIn profile is empowering agents and e-commerce to address page speed and core web vitals. So pretty pretty clear mission statement there. So welcome to Replatform, Erwin Hoffman. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, and how are you? Uh, I'm fine. It's uh, yeah, lovely weather over here as well. Uh, a bit cold, obviously. So I, I guess the weather isn't very different from over there. Yeah, it's not it's not always the warmest, but getting the sunshine is beautiful. I'm I'm going to now pronounce where you're from really badly so you can laugh at me. But you're from <laughs> Groningen in uh, in the Netherlands, and you'll be able to say it properly for our uh, guest. Uh, yeah, that's uh, correct. From the the northeast of the of the Netherlands. Yeah, fantastic. So, are you ready to talk to us about core web vitals then? I am. Excellent. So, before we start grilling you with some uh, exciting questions, could you just share with people a bit of a flavour about who you are, your background, and, and like why you focused on on core web vitals and page speed and performance? Um, sure. I uh, I I once began as a uh, as a developer, uh, which makes things easier. Obviously, coming from a technical perspective, technical side, uh, I still do a bit of uh, development, by the way. But uh, nowadays, I'm uh, helping agencies and also merchants to. Uh, to address core web vitals, and obviously we all know it by now as uh, core web vitals. But um, it's it, it always was important already, like you explained before. Uh, technical UX, uh, page speed, etc., perceived performance, uh, all were quite important already towards um, yeah conversion or just use experience in general. Right. Um, and I'll ask the first question today. Um, so let's start with the basics. What are core web vitals and why is everyone talking about them currently? Um, well, the, the last question why everybody's talking about um, is, uh, I guess, quite obvious as Google now introduced this set of metrics, uh, three metrics currently. Um, it might, uh, yeah, it might, new metrics might might join core web vitals. Um 
However, currently it's a free metrics and as Google announced it to be a, uh, uh, a ranking factor uh, as of mid-June. Um, it just got delayed, by the way, so it's now mid-June. Um, yeah, all SEO agencies, but also product owners, for example, or marketing uh, agencies are now um, yeah, talking about Google Vitals. And um, it's, it really describes overall, once again, overall technical use experience. So it isn't just page speed uh, or performance, because, for example, the CLS metric is, is about um, yeah, layout stability. Um, how does content shift while loading, but not all, only while loading, but also when, for example, scrolling to the bottom. Uh, even when you're scrolling to the bottom and some contents might pop in and slide or push other contents down. Um, it's not a good user experience as you has to as you then have to reorientate where you were or end ended up reading, for example. So it's way broader than just page speed. Brilliant. And do you? And I'd imagine you talk about this a lot. And over the years, there's been a lot of updates that Google's have that Google have made that have had kind of different um, industries and a lot of SEOs kind of worrying that maybe haven't been as big um, as people might have expected. How big do you think this is going to be? Do you have a view on how significant an impact it will have on like the average site? Yeah, I get this question quite a lot, and. Um... Uh, by now, Google themselves also try to uh, emphasize that this won't be uh, a very big um, update in such, a, in such a way that you might not expect, should not expect all kind of changes in, in ranking and your positions. Um, and um, I think that, for example, when you've got a competitor and a competitor has uh, an equal, well, a similar page or product, for example, with... Uh, from a quality perspective, the same yeah, a quality of text, uh, then I guess Google Vitals might play a role there. Uh, but um, yeah, let's be honest, content is still, be ki uh, is still king. Uh, so content should still be priority, for example. But um, it's basically like we already know, SEO is just basically a set of different uh, factors, a yeah, set of different um, uh, yeah, in impact factors. And as you said, there are currently three metrics, but that obviously might change over time. So, um, can you let's talk through them and, and let's get your perspective on what they are and, and what do they really mean to, to, to e-commerce teams? What impact they can have? So, let's start with LCP, largest contentful paint. Uh, what is it, and, and what do people need to understand about it? Um, LCP basically replaced the FMP metric, which is the first meaningful paint. So some might still know first meaningful paint from Lighthouse version 5. Uh, but it, it got deprecated and replaced by the largest contentful paint. <clears throat> but basically it isn't very different than um, as FMP because when you reach a product page or whatever page, um, you basically want a, yeah, you want uh, confirmation if you reached the page you were looking for, for example, when you did an SEO query. And um, LCP then is about uh, the largest contour paint, which can be a text note like a heading or the biggest paragraph uh, or a product image, for example, or a hero image, depending on the um, template, obviously. Uh, so LCP basically is already about perceived performance. Um, for example, you could check DOM content loaded, which is another metric, but DOM content loaded really isn't 
telling anything about the perceived performance. You can have a very small HTML document with, as a result, a very small or fast DOM, can, DOM content loaded. But if at the same time, a lot of JavaScript is responsible for displaying the hero image or product image, then you might have a very late LCP metric uh, impacting the, well, yeah, perceived performance because users then have to wait a bit before seeing anything uh, yeah, happening in the screen. So LCP really is about perceived performance. And, and from the work that you've done, what have you seen to be the biggest culprits for, for uh, you know, making LCP bigger than it should be? Is it images? Is it typically just non-optimized images or is it wider than that? No, it's it's way wider than that. Yeah, you, obviously you could use, uh, yeah, you should, by the way, you should try to not make images bigger than necessary. Uh, so, um, uh, for example, use response, yeah, responsive images uh, when someone's on a mobile or a desktop uh, device. Um, and you could even implement uh, WebP, which is a bit of a already around for about 10 years, I guess. But um, yes, it might still be new to some. Um, and it's, uh, it's called a next generation image format, which tends to be uh, a way smaller than, for example, JPEG or PNG images. Um, but most of the time, uh, the biggest wins are, for example, um, yeah, server-side render your image, your main image, because then the browser is able to dispatch the downloads right away. Um, so it's not just the images itself, but it's also your code, which is uh, in front of the product image, for example. Excellent. I think that's a really important distinction for people to understand is you can have the mo you can have amazingly optimized images, but if you're, the way you deliver it into the browser is non-optimal, then you still can get a, a significant uh, LCP. Yep. Um, so let's move on to FID, first input delay. Can you, can you kind of demystify that for us? What, what is it? Uh, um, give us some examples and, and you know, what typically causes this to, to, to be higher than it should? Um, yeah, I sh maybe I should start with that currently uh, only 12% isn't passing the first input delay metric uh, when it comes to mobile uh, scores. So most sites out there and also web shops should already be okay when it comes to first input delay. Although uh, I did hear some rumors about Google maybe uh, decreasing the threshold. So it's currently one of the milliseconds. So that means um, the browsers should be able to respond to user interaction within run 100 milliseconds. Anything above 100 milliseconds uh, could be seen as a unhealthy or uh, unnatural delay, and that might frustrate users. Um, so that's that's basically what first input delay is. Uh, it might be changed to 50 milliseconds, maybe. I'm not sure. Google is the only one who knows, obviously. Uh, but for example, when you've got a chat widget uh, or you've got a very large JavaScript bundle, um, but users already see something happening or maybe even already see a hamburger menu, they might try to click on the hamburger menu. But if JavaScript wasn't done yet or other JavaScript was being executed on the main thread of the browser, um, then the browser won't be able to respond to the user interaction. And uh, I often see this on Wix websites because they tend to use a lot of JavaScript. And when you try would try to click on the hamburger menu, then the delay would be quite big, uh, resulting in, well, yeah, once again, user frustration. So that's basically what first input delay is. It's basically about performance, and it's often JavaScript performance, 
caused by JavaScript, but it can also be caused by a lot of uh, CSS. Excellent. Um, and then we're on to the third one, which is cumulative layout shift. And I guess this is something that people can more tangibly relate to because, uh, you know, pages where you load it and it just jumps and you try and click a link and it doesn't work. So could you just talk us through about you know, how does how is cumulative layout shift measured? I think that's the bit that most people don't get. They, they understand what it is, but how does how does like Google, for example, measure that? And what are some of the, the biggest causes of this? Um, I think the most, yeah, maybe the well-known situation might be where a video ad uh, pops in or slides in, pushing other contents down. Uh, but also a sticky header could cause uh, layout shift issues. And this one is is actually a bit hard to, to see or hard to track um, because even when you would use uh, Google tools to track CLS, um, it often indicates which element got shifted, but it might not indicate which elements caused the shift. So that might be a bit hard. Um, and yeah, for example, once again, a sticky header could also cause a layout shift, but sometimes the layout shift isn't seen or as obvious by the naked eye, um, but it's then just the way Google tracks CLS. And I, even by now, and I say even by now because Google already changed CLS a few days ago, the way they track CLS, um, even by now, I sometimes think it's a bit unfair how they track CLS. And this also means and indicates that um, yeah, Google is always trying to improve their metrics. Uh, they even changed the LCP metric, for example. Um, to, to give a clear example, if you've got a hero image as a background image and some text on top of it, for example, and you would enlarge your hero image, then it isn't considered an LCP anymore, which sounds a bit weird, but here it comes. If you would enlarge your LCP image to a 100% viewport width and height, then the Google um, LCP tracker thinks that it's a, um, a decorative image instead of a meaningful image. For example, a product image obviously is quite meaningful because you want to know if you reach the page you were looking for and if it's similar as what you expected. But on a blog post, for example, a hero image could just be decorative instead of adding some meaningful information. So that's basically how you could also, yeah, I could say fix LCP. Uh, and then obviously a heading might become the next LCP. Uh, and also CLS was recently changed in such, such a way that before, uh, before the change, CLS was being tracked during complete page lifecycle, which means even if you would scroll to the bottom and if some unexpected layout shifts would happen at the bottom of the page, it would be added up to your layout shift uh, value. And that, that's, that's now changed and kept to a five second window. Great, and then, um, so I guess moving back to kind of practical advice. So I think you provide services around optimizing uh, the core web vitals and kind of working with clients and their development teams. In your experience, um, what levels of work are there for some of the different e-com platforms? So you mentioned Wix earlier, um, but you know, working with like a Magento, which is pretty JavaScript heavy, as you say, um, compared to something like a Shopify. Um, yeah, like what's the best way to go about it? And in your experience, how how much kind of work is there in different platforms? 
Um, yeah, it's a fair question as it does depend on the platform itself as well. Um, for example, when using Magento, you might have a bit of a harder time to, to optimize. However, at the same time, um, most of the best practices or uh, issues that I, I, I find, for example, um, aren't directly Magento related. Um, obviously, you do have to do some adjustments within Magento itself. Um, but most of them might not be caused by Magento. For example, if you've got a bunch of preloads which you inserted yourself, too many preloads isn't good either. Um, and even with HTTP2 protocol, meaning we don't have any limitations on the amount of um, simultaneous downloads. However, um, yeah, you still don't want to have too many downloads at the same time, although having HTTP2. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it it obviously does depend on the platform as well. Uh, but most of the time, most of the work is still a, a custom work that a development team did des themselves, for example. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and in terms of benchmarking against those kind of free metrics or free areas, um, like how do you define what's kind of okay, good, and terrible? Like I saw that Google had some targets, um, but are there kind of you know benchmarks out there, or like what's the best approach here? Uh, yeah, Google came with with own thresholds, um, and they they basically came to those thresholds uh, as they did some research themselves. Um, for example, these new metrics LCP and CLS got introduced in in May. Uh, CLS got yeah, became part of Lighthouse in May 2020. However, Google was already testing those new metrics as of, uh, I think, November 2019. So they were already testing those metrics for a while and they came to the, to the conclusion that if you wouldn't meet the thresholds of all these metrics, then the chances, there is a chance of 24% that, well, I think, the chance increases by 24% that um, users would then abandon a page load. And the LCP threshold, for example, is two and a half seconds. So you should be able to um, yeah, show your hero image or product image or heading one uh, within two and a half seconds. And what, how, what are your recommended tools for measuring performance on an ongoing basis? I mean, there are there are browser plugins like Chrome for, for, for this, but what do you do? Which tools do you use to get accurate data on that? Um, yeah, you've, you've got multiple tools. Uh, maybe you get some uh, fear of missing out uh, ID when not using a specific tool uh, because there really are a lot of tools out there. Um, but um, PageSpeed Insights, for example, is giving you lab data. And if your website or web shop has enough visitors, then it might also give you some field data. And that's the one you want to focus on, field data, because that's also the one Google uses for their Google Web Vitals update. And uh, on top of that, when talking about field data, we are talking about real users out there. So we are also talking about real user experience. And the one which might yield uh, increased revenue is also your real audience. So that's that's the one you want to talk about. And yeah, you could do lab data testing, obviously, to at least find any issues. Um, however, CLS is slightly yeah, it, it's it's tracked differently than a uh, than than testing in in the real world, for example, because 
in real world, it depends on when users interact, how fast their internet con connection is. Uh, maybe they drop their phone in the past and their phone isn't performing as well anymore. Or maybe someone's on, on holiday in Spain uh, where it's a bit warmer and devices then tend to underperform, for example. So there are a lot of uh, factors which would impact, which could impact user experience. And that's why you should look at field data. And you could do some real user monitoring yourself. Um, and I would also always advise to do so because the field data within PageSuite Insights is a 28, uh, yeah, it's a rolling 28 day uh, number, meaning it's basically a summary of the previous 28 days. So when you would improve today, um, you won't be seeing a lot of changes tomorrow because it still would have 27 days of old data impacting the well the average score. Um, but the, the, the field data still is a very good um, yeah, statistics, very good numbers to work with. And what, what, what toolkits do you work, apart from the PageSpeed Insights, what tools do you turn to if you're trying to do large-scale testing across quite a large number of pages? Because what I've found a lot of people is, especially with business owners, that they'll, they'll go to their homepage and go, look, it's performing brilliantly. And they go, well, actually, but then you've got like 2,000 product pages and you've got your category pages, et cetera. So what, what's a sensible approach to be able to do this at scale? Uh, what I use myself to, for example, convince Product owners is um, uh, Data Studio could be used. Uh, Data Studio is something that Google came up with. Uh, well, they came up with a template, which would then uh, show you a twenty and uh, no, not twenty, a ten month month history of real user data per metric, and not just the LCP first input delay and layout shift metric, but also, for example, time to first byte, onload, first console paint. Uh, so very insightful. And I like to use, uh, it's called uh, trio.sh, uh, which is also giving some nice uh, charts. And you can also see some user uh, experience distributions. So you can see how many users, the same can be seen in Data Studio, by the way. You can see how many users, or I should say page views, ended up in a so-called good bucket or moderate bucket or poor bucket. And then you know, yeah, how what what the percentage of poor experiences is, and that's obviously something you want to move to the moderate or even good bucket. And that's just the visualization tools, the visual, visualization part. And uh, I myself also obviously use uh, Chrome DevTools or uh, web page test, and um, sometimes even Lighthouse. But um, I often try to. Uh, reproduce what I see in field data. So uh, if I see a specific number in field data, which is um, uh, which happens quite a lot, uh, for example, if a lot of users end up having a layout shift percentage of 41%, then I try to reproduce such percentage. Um, and the difficult part is all users are um, yeah are under different circumstances, different conditions. Um, what, yeah, maybe one user would click right away on the hum hamburger menu as, so as soon as he or she sees a hamburger menu. Another user might wait until the moment he or she thinks that the whole page was done downloading and then try to interact. Uh, and that also depends on the impact of, well, first input delay, because if all JavaScript wasn't ready at the moment someone, someone tried to click, 
then such user might have a bad first input delay, but another user which would wait for a full page load uh, might not have a bad first input delay. So yeah, there are, are a lot of factors playing a role now. And what's your view on how ready um, like businesses currently are? Like, Do you think people have really taken this to heart and, and improved their site and tackled these metrics? Or do you think that lots of people are going to get a nasty surprise um, in the mid part of this year? I don't think they get a nasty surprise because, uh, yeah, once again, I don't think that the impact on the ranking itself is will be very big. Uh, but, yeah, uh, when we look at UX as well, instead of uh, purely SEO, um, then, yeah, they would already have a, and, and already had a bottleneck already. Um, and looking at those metrics and the thresholds, uh, I said before that 88% is passing or 12% is not passing the first in input delay metric. Uh, and when looking at all metrics, it's only 25%, which is passing all metrics and which would pass uh, core web vitals at this very moment. Um, so this basically illustrates that we aren't ready yet. We aren't fully ready yet. And um, so, so we've already talked about the kind of three initial metrics, and you mentioned earlier that there'll be more added over time. Um, how do you, where do you see this going, and what are some of the things that you think could be factored in beyond the first phase of the rollout? Um, they already communicated that uh, they, and, and I mean Google obviously, that they won't be introducing too many metrics per year. Otherwise, all developers might go crazy, and SEO specialists as well. Um, but one example could be uh, animations, CSS animations, for example. Um, when you would do animations um, and you would do it the wrong way, then such animation might be done on uh, at, I should say, at 30 frames per second, which isn't very smooth. It's maybe smooth enough, but it isn't very smooth. But also a device, um, yeah, then tends to drain the battery of a, uh, or I should say the animations tend to then uh, drain the battery of a mobile device, for example, or use more power. Um, so that's one example. And I don't know of, of any other examples because once again, Google, it's only Google that knows what, what will, will happen. Um, but I do think that this might be one of the first new things that might be become part of Core Web Vitals. Great. And um, and I guess just lastly for me, do you have any final tips for e-commerce teams approaching this update? Maybe uh, kind of non-technical teams looking at kind of starting a project with either their internal team or external developers. Like how, what would you recommend um, to them? Yeah, that's quite a broad question. And I also think it's quite hard to pinpoint just one uh, takeaway um, because I'm afraid it will always be a bit of a challenge to have marketing and SEO, for example, work together with uh, you know work together with uh, developers. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if you've got any ideas by such setup or maybe improving communication between developers or UX specialists and SEO specialists. I don't know if you've got any experiences here. I think um, in any scenario that involves development teams, like being specific is um, 
is one thing and just kind of getting a good brief together and making sure that, you know, there's a very clear um, target would be mm-hmm. my uh, only thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in your experience, have you found that developers are generally quite um, open and are quite knowledgeable on this topic or is it something that's, you know, typically led by a client team? Yeah, that's, I, I do think that uh, core web fighters might actually help uh, help to let uh, developers and SEO specialists, for example, or product owners work together. Um, Because I did experience that developers might be a bit reluctant to uh, work with lab data because lab data is done under certain circumstances. For example, if you would run a PageSpeed Insights test, then it would be done on a Motorola Moto 4G device on a 3G internet connection which isn't very common in the Netherlands and such combination might also not be very common in the UK, for example. Um, So yeah, developers might then get a bit reluctant to work with such numbers. Um, But the fact is you might actually be able to pass core web vitals while still having a 22% score, for example. So obviously I like green scores, but um, at the same time, it isn't a necessity. It isn't necessary to get a green score to pass core web vitals. Basically, field data and lab data, yeah, you could see them as two things apart. Um, so I guess when you are able to uh, get developers involved with field data, they might then also get a better idea what they're working for and what their code, or I should say how their code might be impacting real user experience. So I guess when you would involve developers with visualizations of current user experience data, that it might actually help to get them on board with optimizing. And that's basically also what Google was trying to achieve here. Um, They introduced AMP a while ago, uh, some years ago already. And they also, um, yeah, they also introduced a batch of shame. Well, marketers called it a batch of shame. And I didn't hear anything about the batch of shame uh, since then, since November 2019. So this was an idea, such batch of shame. It was an idea of Google to also um, yeah, get everyone, no matter their roles, on board with page speed optimization, or I should say technical UX optimization. And um, yeah, I've never heard again of the batch of shame, but we now have suddenly core web vitals. So I do think yeah. they 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 succeeded with now yeah getting every everybody on board because well we are doing this podcast but also Absolutely. a lot of agents a lot of agencies talking about core web fighters as well. One thing that um, I really like, and it feels like the two might be linked. So about 18 months ago, uh, Shopify really started to focus on performance and like they made a lot of improvements to um, Liquid um, and various other aspects of the platform. And then they started putting in different metrics to uh, one, give uh, merchants more visibility over their kind of performance and any issues within the theme, but then also starting to push the third parties within their app ecosystem as well. And I'm hoping that more platforms platforms um or more of the traditional platforms uh go down that route and start to kind of really improve particularly you know platforms like magento really improve some of the performance aspects and push kind of their ecosystem to do the same yeah true it's been uh, it's been really really insightful um 
Uh, and I've learned a few new things as well, which is always useful on these podcasts. If anyone listening has questions or wants to reach out, maybe they've got a project and want to clarify something here, when, what's, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, I guess my website, obviously, or uh, or just uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, quite active over, quite active over there. Um, so I guess those are the best uh, channels to reach me. Cool. And for anyone who's listening, um, uh, if you're not listening uh, through the embed on our website, our website has a page for this podcast, which has got the links uh, where you can find to, to LinkedIn and to the website. So awesome. um, uh, amazing. Really enjoy that. I mean, thanks very much for joining us. And thank you to everybody for listening to our Core Web Vitals episode. Stay, you know, keep, keep your eyes on this because it's not a, uh, a static thing. It is evolving, as everyone's alluded to during this episode. So you need to keep them on top of where it goes and if new metrics come in. We hope it's been interesting and useful. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and do share with anyone else you think would be interested. And stay tuned because next week we uh, finish off our compliance and standards scene with a GDPR update episode. <laughs>